Influencing popular culture, politics, and everything in between. The local station takes you ringside as we discuss the crazy world that is professional wrestling. This is Going Ringside with The Local Station. Hello there, and thank you for joining us uh, on this latest episode of Going Ringside with The Local Station. I'm Scott Johnson. So glad you could join us. Uh, the show continues to grow. We hope you'll give us a like or a follow um, wherever you get your podcasts. If you go to Apple, iTunes, Spotify, uh, the News for Jack's YouTube channel, wherever Go and give us a like uh, and tell your friends about it. Share it in wrestling groups so people know that we're here. We're trying to spread the word that the show exists. So we really appreciate you joining us today. And we want to continue. This is part two of our dive into the potential sale of WWE, World Wrestling Entertainment, and whether or not the cons could feasibly buy WWE. So there's a lot that goes into that, and I wanted to specifically focus on that today, but I do need to preface with a few things that have come up in the last week. First, I need to deviate from this and start on a somber note, um, and that is some sad news for Arn Anderson, and we wanted to wish uh, well to him. Arn Anderson, the legendary horseman, uh, announcing that his, old, uh, his son, 37-year-old Barrett, has passed away. Um, so we just want to, uh, thoughts and prayers with the, Arn Anderson and his family. He put out this statement on Twitter. I appreciate everyone's countless thoughts and prayers. I don't know when or if I will be able to talk about this without falling apart. Nothing prepares you for this. The love that has come from so many to my family has meant more than you will all ever know. A blanket thank you is all I can muster at this time, Arn Anderson. So, um... Our uh, best wishes to Arn and his family through this uh, incredibly difficult time. Um, on the issue we're here to talk about, the other thing that came up this week that really has kind of just thrown me off as we discuss the potential sale of WWE, and that is something I've never quite expected to see as a headline that came out this week uh, from CNBC. So listen to this headline, and we'll get to in a bit why this is important to a sale of WWE. So CNBC reporting this. WWE in talks with state gambling regulators to legalize betting on scripted match results. So I hear this and I'm sitting there thinking, how on earth could that work? So many things went through my mind, like, is this ridiculous? Are you kidding? How could they legalize betting on WWE matches, which are scripted match results, as they say in this CNBC headline? Well, WWE is trying to work with state legislatures and state regulators who uh, regulate state gambling um, to legalize this and allow it to happen. They say it would be similar to maybe the Oscars, where people can bet on really anything, as you know, if you're in the betting world, I'm not. But if you are, you know you can bet on a lot of things. One of the things, the Oscars and the Academy Awards, which is, you probably know, is a scripted event. There is a predetermined winner that someone, judges somewhere, knows who's going to win the Oscars. The same would be the case with the WWE matches. Now, the article says they're working with the commonly known Ernst & Young accounting firm to say they would find a way to secure match results for months down the road. They wouldn't even tell the wrestlers until just hours before the match to secure this. Um, a lot of things came to my mind. First off, the guys who know the results of the match, could they call a family member and say, bet on Roman Reigns to win this one? Uh, that was something that came up. But I'm sure WWE would be able to work around that if this 
gets the okay from the um, from the gambling authorities in the different states. Something else that came to mind is historically, you you know sometimes you can tell who's going to win a match. You know you know a guy's leaving the company, um, or you know a guy's has an injury needs to drop the title, something like that. But if WWE is successful with this, which is why is it important? Why it is important with respect to the sale of World Wrestling Entertainment? If this happens, that's a whole lot more eyeballs on your product. Consider what's happening with the NFL, fantasy football, sports betting. Like, say I've got a player in the Dolphins-Bills game, and I don't care about the Dolphins or the Bills. I'm watching that game because I've got money on the game. There is a huge market for sports betting out there. Whether you like it or not, it's a reality. It's a financial reality. So if WWE is successful with this, say you could go on Monday Night Raw and put a parlay on three matches and think you're going to win all three, you're watching Monday Night Raw, where if you weren't gambling, you may not be watching their product. So if WWE is successful with this, that's a whole lot uh, more eyeballs on their product, meaning WWE may be more valuable to a potential buyer. So it's something to keep in mind that WWE, if they are able to get this going, maybe it's being done so they can be more valuable to someone who wants to buy them. It's something we're going to be watching. I don't really have an opinion on whether or not this is the right deal and if this should be allowed or if this is good for WWE or if it will happen, I don't know. I just know if it does happen, could make WWE more valuable to a potential buyer. And let's talk about those potential buyers. Some stuff has happened. So one name that has been dropped has been Comcast, the large cable giant, maybe a company who would buy WWE. Another is Saudi Arabia, the investment fund there with exorbitant amounts of money. I didn't realize how much money until we talked to a financial analyst who we'll speak with later in the episode about that, that they have a lot of money they could dump into WWE. We thought a few months ago they would be buying. They're not, but the Saudis are still discussed. Another one that I didn't know a lot about was Endeavor. They're a large, very wealthy talent agency that is really affiliated with UFC. So they were discussed, but in the last week or so, their CEO has been quoted in some articles as saying he might not be interested in WWE. So possibly Endeavor is off the table, and they're no longer, um, you know, a viable buyer. So that you've still got Comcast, the Saudis, maybe some other potential buyers we don't know, maybe a Disney or someone. But let's talk about Shad and Tony Khan, which of course has local uh, intrigue because Shad and Tony Khan own the Jaguars. They're, Shad really does. Tony's his son. But Tony was given $100 million by his dad to start All Elite Wrestling. And I want to talk about that really quickly. So since I've been talking about Tony Khan a lot on this podcast, and it's not a Khan or AEW podcast, but there's been a, a lot to talk about with them, um, a lot of people in the comments on these podcasts say, well, Tony's just a kid getting money from his dad, his rich dad and Shad. Shad is worth a little more than, more than $12 billion. Well, I want to read you this quote from a Forbes article that Shad Khan talked about his son that came out about a year ago. They did a big profile on Tony Khan and AEW, Forbes magazine did about a year ago. And this is a quote that always struck me as interesting from Shad Khan. Listen to this. I absolutely didn't think this was a good idea, the elder Khan says, but I told Tony, look, when I'm dead and gone, I'm going to be leaving you and your sister a lot of money. 
why don't you blow some of that while I'm alive? I don't know how realistic that quote was, if he truly felt that way or if it was tongue-in-cheek for the article because we're talking about wrestling. But you have to wonder how serious is Shad, the man with the money, about this pro wrestling venture that his son is involved with, with all elite wrestling based here in Jacksonville, Florida. I want to tell you a story. On the first episode of the podcast, I talked about that first news conference AEW held over at TIA Bank Stadium when they were announcing they were going to start having pro wrestling. Chris Jericho was there. They had about 1,000 people. There was pyro. People were focused on the wrestlers. I was back with the news media there. And I was looking at the corner of this news conference at one group who no one is really paying attention to. They were back. They were not making any noise. They were being very quiet. And that was Shad Khan and the Jaguars executives. The coaching staff of the Jaguars, the general manager, all dutifully standing around their boss and Shad applauding and smiling. But I watched Shad's demeanor throughout this whole news conference of watching his son in this new venture. And I've seen Shad smile when the Jags score a touchdown in his luxury box or at some news conferences that we've had. This entire press conference, which was about 30 or 40 minutes, announcing his son's new wrestling company, Shad was just smiling ear to ear. He looked like a proud dad. And AEW's had success. They have two shows right now, Dynamite and Rampage on TBS and TNT. I've seen reports this week they may be adding a third show. They're adding cable contracts internationally. So Tony can go to his dad and say, hey, look, dad, this wrestling thing's making money for us. Um, so that's there. And I know if you're a wrestling fan, like probably most, you probably have liked other type of wrestling, not AEW. You maybe not know who this Tony Khan guy is. Well, about a year ago, I sat down and interviewed Tony Khan about a wrestling event they were going to have in Jacksonville. I just wanted to play it so you know who Tony Khan is. You may not know a lot about him unless you follow AEW closely. Um, here's an interview I did with him. He was previewing, I think, an announcement that he had bought Ring of Honor, which is a big purchase, a big move in the wrestling world for AEW to really absorb Ring of Honor. This is an interview I did about a year or so ago with Tony Khan about an AEW show in Jacksonville. I'm showing you right now just so you know who Tony is. Let's listen in. Well, we are excited to be joined this morning by AEW owner uh, Tony Khan and the son of Jaguars owner Shad Khan uh, to talk about the big event in Jacksonville and then a bigger event in Orlando this week. Tony, what do you guys have going on down at uh, Daly's Place? First, let's talk about the Jacksonville event. Well, AEW Wednesday Night Dynamite is on TBS every week, and we've got a huge episode this week. It's the last episode before our big revolution pay-per-view it's a huge annual event we do it's sunday march 6th on pay-per-view worldwide in orlando and people all over the planet are going to be watching this event and people all over the world also watch wednesday night dynamite every week uh we've consistently been one of the top shows on cable this year we've been number one multiple times and consistently rank in the top three up there with the nba and and other top sports and entertainment shows so all elite wrestling, we've got Wednesday night dynamite. It starts at eight o'clock Eastern uh, as far as when we go live on TBS, but we'll actually have a great show starting for the fans at seven. And then we go live on TBS at eight. It's are tickets still available if anyone wants to go down to Daly's there Place? There are great tickets available. And Daly's Place is the best place to watch pro wrestling on the planet. 
I, I want to talk to you about this, this Daly's place, this Jacksonville dynamic. The pro wrestling world is something you watch and it's all over the globe, it's all over the country, but all of a sudden its world has centered on Jacksonville, Florida since I guess early 2019, since you announced this. Uh, what has this dynamic been like of having all this so much in Jacksonville during the pandemic, having Daly's place as an option for your company? What has that been like? Well, Jacksonville is where we launched AEW. It's where we made the announcement that we were starting a pro wrestling company and signing some of the top pro wrestlers in the world, people like Chris Jericho, Hangman Page, Kenny Omega, and the Young Bucks, who are some of our top stars today. And in the years past, we've signed some of the all-time great wrestlers like Sting, CM Punk, Brian Danielson, and many others. And right now, the company's hotter than it's ever been. Uh, we just had a big show this week. We were uh, number three show on all of cable with over a million viewers, but we've been number one multiple times. And it all goes back to Jacksonville where it began. And then through the pandemic, this was really our home. Uh, we ran all the shows in Jacksonville for over a year before we went back on tour. And I promised when we, you know, when we're out in the road doing all these big shows, I wanted to keep Jacksonville in the mix uh, just because we're out, you know, in New York and Chicago and we're going to big towns every week doesn't mean that Jacksonville isn't still a big, important town for AEW. So this Wednesday, March 2nd, it's going to be a great wrestling show. And if you've been before, you know what I'm talking about. This is going to be one of the biggest ones we've ever done. It's the last dynamite before the revolution pay-per-view, which means a lot of exciting stuff is going to happen. I'm also telling you right now, Scott, I'm going to make a historical announcement in the wrestling business, uh, something people will remember for a long time, and they're going to remember when and where it was said. And it's going to be said this Wednesday at Daly's Place. So there's that announcement and a lot of great wrestling for the fans on Wednesday night. I want to talk to you about this issue of the Jaguars, and you guys have overlap with them. You've had fights on the football field. I think I saw a guy stuffed into a Jaguars ice dispenser. I think I've seen Jackson DeVille involved. Talk to me about the synergy between your two properties, the Jaguars and AEW. Well, with AEW wrestling at Daly's Place, you never know when and where the Jaguars could get involved. Uh, we've had people from all over the world of sports get into AEW, but in particular, we have a great connection with the Jaguars. So yes, Chris Jericho did knock out Jackson DeVille with the Judas effect during the stadium stampede match. We've had all kinds of wild things happen around the stadium in that match. And uh, anything can happen in AEW. And we've had athletes, including Shaq, step into the ring. What a great match Shaq had. What a great guy Shaq is. Uh, and right here in Jacksonville, in Daly's place, one year ago this week, actually, Shaq went through a table. Uh, I, re I remember well. And, Tony, one last thing. On a personal note, we got to ask you because we have access to you. What's the deal with the national rumor that you are going to run for Congress against Congressman John Rutherford? You put that fire out as a rumor on Twitter, but it was fascinating to us. What was the deal with that? Well, somebody signed me up uh, and forged my signature. So that's what happened. And I think it's like a federal crime that they committed. So it was actually kind of a hassle. But uh, yeah, I never had any intention of doing that. And I think it was likely a wrestling fan playing a joke because I saw that the campaign quarter headquarters they'd set up was the AEW office here in Jacksonville. So well, it was it was certainly gave us an interesting headline to follow. Tony Khan, president of AEW. Thank you so much.
So that was Tony Khan about a year ago. Um, it was a chance to really talk to him. And so essentially in America, you have two major wrestling promoters. You have Tony and you have Vince McMahon. Two very different people. I think uh, Tony still is dealing with the fact that he's young and he may not have that on-screen presence that Vince had from decades on camera as an announcer and people had become very accustomed to him. He had that bodybuilder look and that deep voice. Tony's a data analyst guy from his time before starting All Elite Wrestling. And he's a wrestling fan, as you can probably say. But he's been doing this a few years now, and he has a love and a passion for the industry that can't be underscored, and we'll talk about that a little more as the podcast goes on. But so what happens if the cons want to buy WWE? Vince says he wants to sell for $9 billion. Maybe if this gambling thing goes through, he could get that, or maybe he could get more or less. Some people say Vince is overpriced uh, WWE. What would the cons need to do to buy it? Do they, because WWE is just a publicly traded company on the stock market, would they just need to buy 51% of the stock? Or does it look differently than that? Could they take the company private, kind of like Elon Musk did when he bought Twitter and made it a private company again? So I sat down with a financial expert from the University of North Florida to talk about exactly how the cons, if they wanted to, and they really haven't said publicly, would go about purchasing WWE and what would happen to all the WWE properties. As you know, WWE is based in Connecticut. They do a lot of stuff at Madison Square Garden in New York City. But the cons, their sports properties are pretty much based here in Jacksonville, Florida. Of course, WWE has the Entertainment Center where they've done a lot of pay-per-views and matches, particularly during the pandemic down in Orlando. So they do have a major Florida footprint. So I talked to this financial analyst about what would go into the cons purchasing WWE and could they really bring it here to Jacksonville? Let's listen. Okay, now we welcome Ron Heyman with the University of North Florida. Ron, thank you for joining us. Ron, tell me a little about your financial background so we know who we're talking to here. <laughs> Good morning, Scott. Thanks for having me. Yes, uh, I'm the uh, head of the financial planning program at the University of North Florida. So we're uh, one of the top rated financial planning programs in the nation. Uh, we get about 150 students who are going to go out and become certified financial planners, financial advisors. Uh, and I am an instructor. I'm not a full-time academic when I'm not at the university. I'm a financial advisor, uh, financial planner with a firm called Davis Capital Management here in Jackson. So you know a lot about this, this type of world. So I want to get right into it and talk to you about this issue of Shad Khan and Tony Khan possibly being interested buyers in WWE. So Khan is estimated to be worth around 11 to $12 billion dollars. I've seen a potential sale price out there for WWE, maybe eight to nine billion. And it's a publicly traded company on the stock market. How would that work if the cons did purchase it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a great question. Um, obviously, Shad has has a lot of financial assets, right? He's He's got the uh, auto parts firm, right? Flexen, Flexen Gate, yeah. which is generating revenues of seven or eight billion dollars a year. Uh, he owns the Jaguars, which uh, he purchased for $770 million from the Weavers and is now worth $3 billion. Um, you know, so he's, he's got assets, Fulham Football Club, 
uh, and recently purchasing the Elite Wrestling uh, organization for, for which is yeah why they have that interest in wrestling because of AEW yeah a hundred percent so he's he's got multiple assets out there and a ton of revenue that that he can bring to bear on really any financial transaction I, but I think one thing I was wondering about so if his if his financial worth is let's say eleven to twelve billion the price is eight to nine billion I'm assuming he's not going to dump his entire fortune into this. No, no, not likely. Um, really, there's only one player that he's got to convince to sell, and, and that's Vince McMahon, right? The controlling shareholder of WWE. Yeah. Um, and Mr. McMahon is going to have an idea of the value of his company, right? And, and there's a lot of uh, different ways that you could value WWE, right? There's not a lot of real estate, but there's certainly the enterprise value, the um, you know, just the, the, the history, the story, the goodwill of the organization. The media and, vault is a big thing too, yeah. 100%, and, and they also generate a ton of revenue every year. It's a hugely profitable business. They they generate about a billion two in top line revenue a year. About half of that comes to the bottom line in profit. So um, so that's a, you know, it's a hugely profitable enterprise. Um, I don't think Chad would essentially write a check um, but he could leverage the capital markets. He could go out and buy essentially, you know, or, or borrow rather, just essentially like you and I would do in purchasing a house. We'd, we'd find a group of investors, a group of lenders, um, you know, go, go through the necessary due diligence process, which for Chad looks pretty good, uh, and then be able to borrow to fund that transaction. Would uh, he... Um just need to buy 51% of the stock? Is that how it works with a publicly traded company or, or can he do it a different way? Yeah, it's it's interesting. So the structure of World Wrestling Entertainment, there's two classes of shares. There's class A shares, which is what we see trading out of the on the stock exchanges, right? You and I can go out and buy WWE uh, through, our, through our Schwab account or whatever it is. Um, but the McMahon family actually owns a second class of shares, class B shares. And the way that the organizational structure is for WWE is that those shares can only be owned by the McMahon family. Right? So Vince has a significant chunk of those shares. Stephanie McMahon has uh, about six or 7% of the class B shares. Linda, uh, Vince's wife, has a, a piece of the shares as well. Is that unheard of? I mean, is that unusual for the essentially like the family who built the company to have these special types of shares that are really make them have control yeah not not really actually um, a lot of people aren't aware that google or alphabet has two classes of shares voting and non-voting shares right so if you want to control the company you have to control the voting shares uh and the rest of the shareholders either the you know the smaller fractional owners or those who don't get to vote or just along for the ride mm -hmm. um but i do think Vince McMahon has an idea of what his business is worth. And if he sells it, whatever he thinks is a good price, it'll probably benefit not just him, but all the shareholders. So I've heard there's some other interested parties, who knows who's there, but the Saudi, Saudi Arabian uh, conglomerate has been discussed, possibly Disney, possibly Comcast, who probably have more money than Khan. Would they necessarily win out if they're interested or how would that work? Well, you know, with, with any sale, with any transaction, we're talking about, you know, two, a buyer and a seller coming together at an arm's length, what's best for the both parties uh, in terms of the transaction. And, um, you know, it's interesting 
Disney, about $65, $66 billion in revenue per year, but a lot of that is lost. Operations of theme parks, developing movies, everything else like that. I mean, it's, it's a giant money-making machine, but they plow a lot back into the business. Same thing with Comcast, only about $30 billion a year for Comcast revenue. Um, but the Saudis are an entirely different thing in their public income fund, their, their, their sovereign wealth fund of the Saudi royal family. It's worth about $620 billion. Oh, so they have an incredible amount of money. They have money. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And they are actually looking to diversify away from just the petroleum industry. So they are tacking on other investments around the globe uh, that make sense. So one other question I have. So when Elon Musk bought Twitter, he bought a publicly traded company and took it private. Did Could the cons feasibly do that or would they keep it on the stock market? Yeah, so so I, they could take it private. And um, I suspect looking at the profitability of the organization and, and just kind of the way that, that Chad operates, that might be in the cards if the deal comes to fruition. Um, essentially, all of the shareholders, not just the McMahon family, but all the public shareholders would receive payment for their ownership interest in the organization. So if they came together for $8 billion, $9 billion, whatever it is, you know, that dollar amount would be divided up amongst all the shareholders, you know, essentially paying them out, buying them out. Um, so when Elon took Twitter private, he bought out the majority shareholders to get the controlling interest. And then once he had that control, he can do whatever he wants. So I have to um, wonder if this went through in the cons purchase, and that's a big if, what happens with Vince McMahon? He obviously is still tied to this company. I'm certain while he's selling it, he would still maybe want a minority role. Is that possible or any thoughts on how that could go? You know, as, as a wrestling fan uh, and growing up with the WWF and WWE, um, it would be neat to see him stick around, but can't forget that Vince is in his mid seventies yeah. and it's probably retirement time for him. He may want to move on and, and strike while the iron is hot in terms of the valuation of the business. If the McMahon stayed involved in some minority fashion, would that be difficult for the cons? Because essentially there might be a, a, a power leverage issue. Yeah, well, I mean, it wouldn't, there wouldn't be any leverage from an ownership standpoint, right? And, and right now the, the McMahon family owns that business. Um, you know, he, he started that business, bought it from his father, back in 1982 and grew it. So it's a very similar story to kind of what Shad and Tony are doing in terms of, of their relationship and buying the, the elite wrestling and, and taking a look at WWE. Um, but I think they would probably step away. You know, it would be difficult to have them around, former owners. Sometimes that, that relationship can be difficult. Um, the other thing I want to ask about is the property. So WWE is based historically, it has been forever in Stanford, Connecticut. They've mm -hmm. got some properties in Orlando and, and maybe other places I don't know about. Could the cons feasibly just say, we're going to keep everything in Orlando or and Stanford? Or could they say, a lot of our stuff's in Jacksonville, we want to move it to Jacksonville. I mean, do they have the ability to move the offices? Absolutely. I mean, to me, from a tax standpoint, it makes sense to get out of higher tax states. Connecticut has a state income tax. There's, you know, there's different set of issues up there. Um, being in Orlando makes sense because of the proximity to the entertainment complexes there and, and a continuous draw of tourism. 
Uh, I would love to see them do something in Jacksonville just because I think Chad has a vision for the city that started with the Jaguars and is now going through the riverfront development process. It would be neat to see even if just the corporate headquarters, if they had the training facilities and other things like that in Orlando, as they do now, you know, it would be a win-win from a tax standpoint, but also drawing jobs and, and attention to Jacksonville and to Florida. And Tony owns a sizable wrestling company, AEW, based in Jacksonville. It's not as big as WWE, but it's still good size. They've got a national audience and they've got, um, you know, a, a contract with TNT and TBS could they merge it? Could they keep two separate entities? Any thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I think what they're doing with All Elite Wrestling is actually really interesting. They've hired some talent away from the other organizations. They've got like CM Punk and some of the, some of the the legends of the other rings, um, and they're also diversified in other countries. They're doing Lucha Libre in Mexico. They uh, have a couple of Japanese wrestling leagues. Um, I think they could probably keep the two operating and there would be some crossover, but WWE is just a storybook brand. I mean, it is the 800 pound gorilla in that sort of entertainment yeah, absolutely. Uh, industry, but, um, well, know. Ron Heyman with university of North Florida. Thanks for breaking this down for us today. We really appreciate it. Very interesting to watch and see if, uh, the cons decide to pull this off. Absolutely, Scott. I hope they do. It would be pretty great for the city and, and uh, great for wrestling fans in Jacksonville and the Khan family. So, Thanks again, Ron. So he told me a few things that were interesting to me. One, I didn't realize how much the Saudis had. He's had an estimated $620 billion or so. That's like mind-blowing numbers. So they could buy WWE no problem if they wanted to. He said they were trying to diversify out of oil. So... Who knows how to analyze that, if it would go to the Saudis in the end or not. The con thing is interesting to me for one reason. It's the cautionary tale of WCW. Because we talked about it on the first half of this, uh, this show on part one. When you think of WCW, back in the 80s and 90s, when Ted Turner first bought them out, and they were struggling during the early years of Sting and Ric Flair and the Horsemen were kind of moving out and it was it was guys like Sid Vicious and and Sting and Lex Luger, Ron Simmons was their champion. As a business, I, I enjoyed it as a as a fan, but as a business, I've heard all the stories. They were kind of struggling. Bill Watts was in charge, he was the booker. And then eventually it was given over to this new guy, Eric Bischoff, who took it over and asked Ted Turner how can I make this company competitive? He said, give me Monday night to go head-to-head -head with WWE, and the Monday Night Wars started. So how did that happen? Sure, Eric Bischoff played a big role, but you know who played a bigger role? Ted Turner. Ted Turner loved his wrestling, he loved his wrestling company, and he was willing to give that infusion of cash to keep it afloat. Ted Turner was never really on WCW TV. He was mentioned a lot, but he was, he was not really an on-camera character, kind of like the McMahons are. Then as the 90s went on, eventually Turner sold off his properties as part of the Time Warner merger. And one of the victims in that merger was WCW. Time Warner didn't want WCW on the books. They didn't want to be involved with wrestling. And WCW got worse. It became unwatchable by the early 2000s. And it eventually folded and went out of business under the ownership of a large corporate entity who maybe had uh, corporate suits who didn't love pro wrestling like Ted Turner did. You've got to wonder if that would happen here. 
because if the McMahons sell to some multi-billion dollar corporation or entity who doesn't love pro wrestling, will they keep it afloat if ratings are down, if Roman Reigns leaves, Lesnar's gone, Bobby Lashley goes away, Charlotte Flair leaves, and ratings are down? Not saying that would happen, but say it does. Is some corporation going to still have the passion to keep the wrestling company alive if they're going through downtime like Vince McMahon did in the mid-90s when he was relying on Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, but gate and ticket sales and pay-per-view buys were down until Steve Austin showed up? You got to wonder. Tony Khan has proved he has a passion for the business. So he is the one buyer I've seen mentioned who loves pro wrestling. He'd obviously have to get his dad. His dad would have to sign off on it and maybe get investors, as we just heard him say. So you'd have to see what happens. He's the only person, I think, in America right now who's ran a wrestling company, who has a passion for wrestling, who also at the same time has access to billions of dollars. No one else does. It's pretty much only Tony Khan. He loves wrestling. He runs wrestling. He's involved in wrestling and he has access to billions. Paul Heyman doesn't, Eric Bischoff doesn't, Ted Turner's well into retirement. So you gotta wonder who's willing to do it. I mean, maybe Comcast does. Maybe the Saudis do. Maybe some other company steps forward. Maybe Fence decides, I will sell it off to uh, Stephanie and Triple H to take over my legacy. We'll be watching in coming months but I think WCW is a cautionary tale of what happens when you put a corporate entity in charge of a wrestling company. So we'll have to see. So that is our analysis of the sale of WWE. We appreciate you sticking with us. I'm going to move on to other subjects. But if this sale does come back up in the news, of course, we'll revisit it. But for now, we're going to start moving on to other exciting uh, parts of the wrestling world. So thank you for joining us. If you got this far in, I know you're a wrestling fan and I hope you tell your friends, share it on your wrestling groups, all that type of stuff. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Going Ringside with the, the local station. We'll see you back here next week. This has been Going Ringside with the local station brought to you every Wednesday on your favorite podcast player on News 4 Jax Plus, as well as the News 4 Jax YouTube channel.